coming, guys. Um, so it always amazes me that whenever it's my time to come up here when Will's gone, like my sermon's preached already, so thank you guys. Um, I was blown away. I mean, we're on Jesus feeding the 5,000, and, you know, the kid's story was on Jesus feeding the 5,000. Um, and you'll, hopefully, God will make the connections as we're going through here. Lizzie's testimony and Rachel's testimony and Will's testimony, man, is just what God has been um, speaking to me. I think he's speaking all of the same things to us. Um, so, not really a confession. Normally, I start with, with some type of struggle, but the last few weeks since Will told me the passage I would preach on, man, I've been studying it, and God has been speaking, and it's been so good. And then I've been trying to write the last couple of days, and it's putting everything in a cohesive thought was a struggle for me. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I, I I'm, well, I'm not going to say I don't get enough practice because I don't want Will to start <laughs> making me, and tell me to come back up here again even more. But um, yeah, God's faithful, so I, I know that he is going to say some good things to us because he said some good things to me throughout uh, the last couple of days. So let's pray, and then we'll jump in. God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for these amazing stories in the Bible that we have to look back on and know more about who you are and know more of your ways and how you relate to us. God, we thank you so much that you love us, and I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning, God, and open our eyes um, to who you are and how you're working around us. So, um, if you guys will remember, we're going through Luke. I know it's been a long time since we started, but we're going through Luke, and Luke's whole journey looking back on the life of Jesus is to show that Jesus came in and he flipped the religious world upside down. And we say upside down, really it's, it's a writing of the upside downness that happened in the fall. So when sin entered the world and Adam and Eve fell, they were kicked out of the garden, the world turned upside down. Um, that whole idea of Hebel, the things that are not how they should be, Luke is showing Jesus as the person to write that ship, to kind of make it the way it should be. Um, and in the last few weeks, Will has preached about some of the awesome things that Jesus did, some of his miracles that really baffled and perplexed people, and they didn't know what to make of Jesus. And a lot of people were asking, who is this man? Nobody really knows who he is, but... Jesus wants us to know who he is. All of these stories that we have are Jesus' attempts to get us to know who he is and to know his ways so that we can be with him. God's plan from the beginning of time was always that Jesus would repair the void between our hearts and his because of sin. Karen and I have had a discussion. Most of us make hearts like this. Apparently the new thing now is Hold on. That. That's the heart. I don't know. It's like the Spock thing. My fingers, my fingers don't work. That, that's a heart. Okay. So for me, it's like this. Either way, our hearts were separated at the fall, and Jesus is what repairs that, brings us back together. So I want you all to keep that in mind as we continue to study on in Luke and as we study this miracle that where Jesus feeds the 5,000 today, and as you are seeking God about what ministry opportunities are around you and where you need to be involved, keep that in mind, that the plan is always that Jesus is repairing 
that separation because of sin. So not just in our lives, but in all lives. Jesus wants to repair that. So we're going to pick up our story. Um, last week, Will talked about uh, Herod's confusion about who Jesus was and his desire to talk to him. And before that was um, Jesus sending out the 12 disciples. So we're picking up, this, this scripture picks up with the 12 disciples coming back to Jesus. All right. So imagine your first mission trip if you've taken a mission trip. Right. All you want to do is talk about that. And then we're going to see some introvert struggles here in just a minute. So, um, so let's, let's get to our scripture. This is uh, Luke 9, 10 through 17. And you may see some differences as we read from the kid's story. I'm just going to say that was in John. Uh, we'll talk about the, some differences in just a minute. All right, so Luke 9, 10 through 17. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus all that they had done. He took them along and withdrew privately to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds found out, they followed him. He welcomed them, spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and healed those who needed healing. Late in the day, the twelve approached him and said, or approached and said to him, Send the crowd away so that they can go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find food and lodging, because we are in a, desert, a deserted place here. You give them something to eat, he told them. We have no more than five loaves and two fish, they said, unless we go and buy food for all these people, for about 5,000 men were there. Then he told his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. They did what he said and had them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them. He kept giving them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Everyone ate and was filled. They picked up 12 baskets of leftover pieces. So, before we really dive into my points, I want to kind of give us a picture. Y'all know that I like visualizing things. I, when I read these stories, I, I got to wrap my mind around what's happening. But first, this is the only miracle, say, aside from the, the crucifixion and resurrection, this is the only miracle that's reported in all four Gospels. So, this, this is important. <laughs> this one, to me, is, is, is really... I think it stands out from a lot of the other ones. So if you have the handout, I've put the other scripture references in there. We're not going to read them all. Um, but Matthew 14, 15 through 21, Mark 6, 32 through 44, and John 6, 1 through 14. So every, this is, was a well-known story. So, just, so let's imagine the 12 go out. Jesus sends them out. He gives them his power. They go out. They heal people. They get rid of demons. They provide all kinds of stuff, and they're, they're seeing the power of God, and they're spreading that, and they come back, and all they want to do is tell Jesus about it. Can you imagine running up like, dude, let me tell you about this guy who couldn't walk, and I tickled his feet, and he walked, and there's a guy with the gecko eye sticking to the side, and I thumped his ear, and he went straight, and he could see, like just so excited about the things that God was doing through their life, right? Lots of high fives and chest bumps. All they wanted to do was hang out with Jesus, but that didn't happen, Right? because the crowds were following them. And I love the way Luke portrays this. If you look at the other Gospels, Mark and Luke are the only two that put this right after the commissioning of the Twelve. Uh, Matthew and John put it in some other places. So exactly where it happens, I'm, I'm not here to debate that, but I love the way Luke puts this picture because the disciples come back from doing this awesome stuff for God and they just want to hang out with Jesus, and they can't. So Jesus uh, takes them to 
the, the mountains around Bethsaida. Anna, can you put the map up? All right. I got a map, and I got a laser pointer that's not going to blind us. So, um, there's the Sea of Galilee, right? This is the Jordan River. So, if you ever read the Jordan River Valley, know that it goes from there down to the Sea of Galilee. So, Capernaum is where they spent most of their time, and that's probably where Jesus sent them out at, out from. So, they probably went all around here doing the work of God, healing and teaching. Uh, the demoniac that, we, that Will preached on a few weeks ago was somewhere over here, right? So Galilee is in here. This was where the Gentiles were. That's where the demoniac was. The, Jesus calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee. So anyway, so they're at Capernaum. They come back, and people are following them. Luke paints this picture, at least when I read it, that these people cannot get enough of Jesus because they've seen what the disciples do. So they're following them, and in order to get away... John tells us that they get in a boat, and they get in a boat, and they just go right over here to Bethsaida, not very far. The crowds follow them. The other gospels, if you again kind of read them all, give us a picture that the crowds saw where their boat went and followed on land and crossed the Jordan and then went into the hill country. So probably, can't see it, but right about there between Bethsaida and the Jordan, there's some mountains and stuff. Sorry, that's very small. I don't know. That's why we have the laser pointer. So anyway, hope you guys can just kind of visualize what's going on. So they go out, they come back, and in order to get away and be alone with Jesus, they, they leave, right? So they go there. The crowds follow them. Um, so if you're like me and you just want to have some time alone with those close to you or with Jesus, man, that, this has got to burn you up. Because I know, like, I just want to detox and I want to debrief and hang out and talk about cool stuff, and they're not allowed to do that. So, crowd comes, but Jesus does what he does. He welcomes them, he takes care of them, preaches and heals. And the number that's mentioned here, they say 5,000 men. So, we don't really know how many people it was. I'll say there was at least 5,014 because they give us 5,000 plus 12 disciples in Jesus, and at least there was a kid there. John tells us there was a kid. All right, so 5,014 up. To get an idea of that, like just, again, a mental picture, the Colosseum up here, the max capacity is 10,000, okay? So if you've been in the Colosseum, imagine it half full or all the way full, right? We don't really know. This is a lot of people, okay? So 12 men plus Jesus drew thousands of people. Could you imagine doing something in the Colosseum being full just because of what you're doing? That's, that's amazing. Like just thinking that Jesus sent these guys out and because of the things that he told them to do, thousands came. So that leads us to point number one. When Jesus sends us out, he equips us so that we can bring others to him. Um. We go back to the story of the commissioning that's in Luke 9, 1 through 6, where he sends them out. Again, I love the way that Luke visualizes this. With the, like It just seems like the crowds are following them. Um, you don't get that quite in some of the other Gospels, but I, that's why I love, love the way Luke paints it here. So the disciples obeyed Jesus, and thousands followed Jesus because of what God did through their obedience. What a vision of ministry. Like, just... Think about ministry in general. 
All right? Jesus sends us, we obey, people seek Jesus. That's like the most simple definition of ministry I could think of, and that is perfectly how this story plays out. All right? But that is the beginning of ministry that's not where we stop, and it's not where God has the disciples stop here. Once people are drawn to Jesus, we, so those of us who have been with Jesus and know Jesus, are still given tasks to obey so that we can care for those that are drawn. So if we look back, let's go back to the the scripture. We'll do Luke just 12 through 15, so the little chunk there in the middle. Late in the day, the 12 approached and said to him, send the crowds away so that they can go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find food and lodging because we are in a deserted place. You give them something to eat, he told them. We have no more than five loaves and two fish, they said, unless we go and buy food for all these people, for there were about 5,000 men there. Then he told his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. They did what he said and had them sit down. All right, so again, let, let's, let's picture this. All right, there's all these people and there's a need. Now, whether some of them had food and were hoarding it and not wanting to present it or nobody brought food, they just saw them get in the boat and took off, I don't know. But the need arises, they know that they can't meet it, so they come to Jesus with their best solution. you got to send them away. They have to go take care of themselves. We don't have the resources to take care of them. Send them away. And what does Jesus tell them? I wish Rachel were in here. He says, you give them something to eat or love your enemies. (laughs) right? Something that they cannot do, right? They know that at their their best, they can't handle that. So Jesus tells them to meet the need, and their immediate response is to acknowledge that they cannot do what Jesus said with what they have. Jesus's commands sometimes feel so overwhelming, but when we, when our response is, I can't do that without you, Man, good stuff happens. So knowing that they don't have the resources to feed so many, they offer their next best solution, right? Let's, well, I mean, we could, we have this. This is all that we have, right? I mean, this was our dinner, probably. Um, I know John says that there was the kid there that had it. A lot of theological guys that say that maybe the kid was holding the food for them. Well, we don't know, but there was, at least there was a kid there. So this is what we have, right? This is probably enough to feed the 13 of them. So Jesus tells them to have the people sit down. So Jesus gives them two commands, one that's impossible and one that is super simple. Like, what? Like, how do we go from that to this? You know, like, no, give me something that I can do that I feel good about, Jesus. Like, let me, let me do something that's going to make a difference and people are going to say, man, Carrie knows what's happening, right? Not have them sit Like, they're hungry. They need to go find something to eat. And Jesus has his disciples sit. It blows my mind where we go from, all right, do the impossible to the most basic thing imaginable. Um, So, again, the visual here is awesome. And I want to keep with this theme of Luke having, like, the crowds being the, the people that heard God's message from the apostles and the disciples And they also heard Jesus because Jesus was doing this too. So they come, they hear about the kingdom of God, they're healed, you know, all all the things that Jesus is doing. 
And a lot of these people, I'm sure, recognized the disciples. Like, hey, I saw that guy in this town. Hey, that, hey I remember when we were in Nain and they raised the dude up. Here's, um, I remember seeing them all there. So there's some type of relationship happening. And Jesus sends the disciples out into this, these crowds and tells them to do something super simple. I don't think that was by accident, right? Um, so Jesus sends the disciples out into the crowd in a simple way to prepare them for what he's about to do. All right, so when people are drawn to Jesus, our part is simple. And that sounds really wrong to say. Because so many times we hear the first command of Jesus, you feed them, and we can't. That's difficult. But when we acknowledge to Jesus I see this need, Jesus, and I know you want to meet it, but I can't with what I have. Jesus says, just have them sit down. Like, it's, it, it's I'm not going to say that everything that we do is simple, but when we are at the feet of Jesus and letting him do what he does, he gives us simple things that change lives. So, the Bible often calls Jesus' followers sheep, and I'm not going to, that's not because we're dumb but it's because we follow our shepherd and his commands are simple. If you think about a, a shepherd with a flock of sheep, he's not a third base coach in baseball giving all these kind of signals that nobody knows what they really are. His calls to them are simple and they know his voice and they follow him. That is why we're called sheep. So I want to turn, uh, if you guys will, this is a, a passage in John where I think that Jesus is doing so many things in Peter's life, but we're only going to hone in on this one thing where he's trying to make Peter remember who Jesus is. So turn, if you will, John 21, 12 through 17. So this is after the resurrection. Jesus has appeared to his disciples and some other people several times, and this is where the, the fishermen, Andrew, Peter, James, and John, have gone back to what they know. They've gone back to fishing, and Jesus shows back up to them. So he you know, tells them to come in, and they sit down um, and have a little breakfast. So, John 21, 12, what did I say? Ah, 12 through 17. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. So this is like a whole like five sermons in this one passage, if you know the life of Peter. But we're going to focus in on the things that Jesus said here that would have caused Peter to remember this feeding the 5,000. He's breaking bread and fish, and he's providing for them when they're out trying to do it on their own, fishing. And he's also saying, feed my sheep. Like, I've already done this. You've seen me do it. I want you to continue to do these things. And it would have reminded Peter that Jesus holds the resources. 
and our part is obedience. We do not hold the things necessary to minister to those around us and bring them to Jesus. Only he does. We just have to do what he says. So point number two, um, and we're going to talk a little more about resources in a minute, um, is when Jesus works in the lives of those around us, he uses us to speak truth as we love. So Will talked a little bit about this last week, about you can't separate the two. Um, you cannot separate love, uh, ministry and truth, you know, love and the gospel, they go, to, they go hand in hand. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. So I'm going to quote the great philosopher of our time, Mickey McManus. <laughs> I told her it was coming. So she sent this to us at Life Group last week, and it, it just struck a chord with me. So everything God does makes sense. We just sometimes lack the sense to understand. Man, how, like that, that's really good, Mickey. And I know that God gave you that. But man, how good is that? So last week, Will talked about Herod and how he did not understand who Jesus was. But his ideas about Jesus were either based on fear. He thought that he was John the Baptist coming back or a poor understanding of Scripture, right? Herod didn't get it. The crowds coming to see Jesus didn't get it either, all right? And Will's going to talk a little more about that. If you've read the rest of Luke, you kind of know that what's coming next, but the crowds did not understand who Jesus was, either because they were afraid, right? What happened when Jesus sent the legion of demons into the pigs? The people were afraid and told Jesus to leave. They didn't understand who he was. And also, people think that he's just a prophet, right? They don't really understand who Jesus is. Um, when Jesus puts the disciples in the midst of this crowd. Remember I said that I, I love Luke's visualization because we have these crowds that have followed the disciples back to Jesus and they have some type of connection probably with some of them. Jesus puts them back in the crowds. Um, he puts the disciples in their midst and has the disciples hand out the food. Right? It's not by accident. It's not like Jesus needed them to hand this out. And I was riding my motorcycle over here on the way this morning and God like struck me with something else, so I didn't put it anywhere. But Jesus could have turned the rocks and the, and the grass into bread, right? He made dew into manna in, in the Old Testament in Exodus. When he's in his temptation, Satan knows that truth about him. Satan comes to him and says, if you're the son of man, turn these rocks to bread and you can have food. Jesus has the power to do that, but he's teaching the disciples here that that's who he is, that he is providing and he wants them to be a part of it. And he knows that he's not going to be in the flesh on earth forever. And he is allowing them to build those relationships and love on those people and speak the truth of who Jesus is so that they understand more and more. Sorry, I'm, I'm getting a little fired up about that. Um, so as we spend time with Jesus, we also begin to understand who he is, and we are able to speak that to others. All right, there's a lot of us going through a lot of things right now that really don't make sense, right? And we might not have the sense to understand what's happening, but Jesus has put us in connection with himself and with other people so that he can speak that truth. So, you know, Will's talked about Luke being in prison, Ben, 
Um, we've had so many issues with work. I know I've struggled with some things at work. Lizzie, Rachel, Al, like it seems like all of us have some type of thing going on that we really don't understand at the moment. I had, I can't see if Mark's still in here. Okay, all right, so, and it's Eve, like this, this kind of bothers me, but it's one of those things that people just don't understand who Jesus is sometimes. We had a 10-year-old tell Mark the other day that parts of the Bible are wrong, that they're just wrong. Like a 10-year-old, so that means that people are teaching that the truth of who Jesus is, that's part of it is wrong. And that, like, it hurts me, one. I mean, kudos to Mark, because he was like, no, that's not what the Bible says. A um, little proud dad moment there. But still, there are so many people around us that just don't understand who Jesus is. Whether it's out of fear, because they don't understand what's going on, or because they have a poor understanding of Scripture, right? Um, and again, I mentioned it a while ago, but Will said last week that m the ministry that Jesus has us in and the message of the gospel go hand in hand. You can't separate them. Um, meeting needs and preaching the gospel are not mutually exclusive. They, they are always stuck together. And we have to keep them together as we minister in our community. Um, I tried to find, uh, I have a quote stuck in my brain and I cannot find who actually said it. So, don't say that it's my quote. Somebody, I heard it somewhere. Um, and it's, the quote is, love without truth is liberalism and truth without love is legalism. When you separate the two, you cause a distance from what is the reality of Jesus. So and in trying to find this quote, I found an even better one <laughs> by a man much smarter than me Tim Keller. Maybe he's related to Helen, I don't know. But Timothy Keller says this, love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. God's saving love in Christ, however, is marked by both radical truthfulness about who we are and yet also radical, unconditional commitment to us. The merciful commitment strengthens us to see the truth about ourselves and repent. The conviction and repentance moves us to cling to and rest in God's mercy and grace. Man. And then we sang, how marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. That's the love of Jesus. That it's, it's filled with truth and it's filled with commitment to who we are because he loves us. Um, I want to read one more scripture. Um, no, there's going to be another scripture. But we're going to do one right here. Isaiah 40, verse 28. Isaiah 40, 28. If you're familiar with, with much of scripture, you probably know what comes after this. It's the... Um, they will soar with wings like eagles, run and not grow weary. Most of us know that scripture in some way. So this is a few before. I just wanted to read it. This is verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. We 
do become faint and weary. He never does. All right? So if we attempt to minister, if we try to love without staying connected to the truth of who Jesus is, we will quickly run out of resources and grow tired. There's no limit to his understanding. There is definitely a limit to our understanding. If we attempt to preach the truth without showing love to our hearers, we quickly run out of patience and grow bitter. So imagine, if you will, back to our story, if the disciples had ministered in their own power with the resources they had. Jesus said, you feed them. Got it. I love these people. Okay, you get, like, all right, the math doesn't work. We can't cut up the bread and fish, so we're going to give, like, 20 people a bite. Right? But at least they tried with what they had. But then imagine if they had spoken the truth. Jesus loves you. You've heard about the kingdom of God. Most of you, many of you have been healed, but we only have our own dinner, so... Y'all got to get out of here. Y'all got to go home, but you can't stay here. This is our desolate place. Not, I don't know, that's another truth. But the truth was they didn't have what it took, right? And Jesus still loved them. That's the truth of the matter. But all of the connections that they had made traveling around would have just been severed. Like that, that truth was harsh. You have to take care of yourself. But Jesus comes in and works all of that out. So not only meeting the need of the people that were there, but also continuing to connect his disciples with the people that they would continually minister to for the rest of their lives. Man, that's good. And Jesus works in ways, again, that do not always make sense to our limited understanding, but he wants us and those we're ministering to to know more of him and his ways. All right? Because remember, God's big plan is that Jesus brings our hearts back together, right? He repairs that brokenness that happened in the fall. He wants us to know who he is because he is the only one that can fix that. To point number three, when Jesus calls us to minister to others, he will provide for our needs and theirs. Let's go back to the last two verses in, uh, in our passage today, Luke 9. 16 and 17. And I'm about to blow y'all's mind. All right, so the last two passages, the last two verses, 16 and 17. Then he took the five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them. He kept giving them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Everyone ate and was filled. They picked up 12 baskets of leftover pieces. I don't know how I ever missed this, but how many disciples were there? How many baskets did they pick up full of food? Man, like everybody ate and the disciples had leftovers. Before they had a meager meal between the 13 of them and now they got food for days probably. Man, I don't know how I ever missed that. But how good is that that when we spend time with Jesus and we are in his word, he continually reveals truth to us. Man, and uh, yeah, I don't have it here. In Romans, I don't know, middle of Romans somewhere, when Paul tells them, like, I gave you milk because you weren't ready for solid food. God gives us the truth that we need for where we are so that we can speak that to other people. And it's good. 
So, Jesus again was teaching more, uh, he was teaching his disciples more about who he is. And Will, I'm, I hope you, you enjoy this, I got some Greek. I normally don't like dive into the Greek, even though I've, I've studied it a lot, but in all four of the, the passages, the Greek word for basket is the same, all right? There are other passages in the Bible that talk about different kinds of baskets, but the Greek, kofinos, was used here. So it's a stiff wicker basket, holds about one and a quarter to two and a half gallons. So this is a basket that the Jews used when they went on a trip. So they would put a couple of things in there. Typically, they would put hay so that whenever they went to sleep, wherever they were, they could put the hay down. And if they were in a Gentile country, they would not touch the Gentile ground. They wouldn't sleep on that. And they would bring their own food so that if they were in a Gentile country, they would have their own food instead of Gentile food. So so imagine, all right, so the d- disciples come back. They're talking to Jesus. The crowds are coming in. He's like, look, let's get in the boat. Y'all, y'all grab your kofinos, kofinos, whatever. So they grab it and they leave, okay? And then whenever Jesus says, you feed them, and like, this, this is all we had. This is all we got in our basket. Jesus says, all right, just go have them sit down and feeds everybody and then fills their baskets up with more than they had to begin with. Man, that's good. Um, and I'm not, I don't want to get in here and, and say any type of like prosperity gospel stuff, right? God's always going to do that. He's not. But whenever he calls us to minister to someone, he will provide what we need and what they need. And I love that Will and Craig both had stories this morning about God just loving on them a little bit. Because again, if you keep reading in Luke, as we'll get there, it looks like the disciples are out in the wilderness for a week or more. I don't know. So when they went out, they were like, all right, Jesus, we're going to go hang out for the night. So we got our, our baskets with stuff for our meal for tonight, and then we'll come back in the morning. And at the end of feeding the 5,000, Jesus sets them up to go hang out and have more alone time with him. So like, again, for those, for those of, of y'all like me, I want to spend my time with my boys and Jesus, and then it's, it's uh, disrupted the great disruption. Janet, is that it? I thought about that this morning when I was looking back over this. Our time alone was, their time alone was disrupted, but Jesus took care of the disruption in a way that was full of truth and full of love, and then also loved even more on the disciples so that they could have more of that time alone. So Jesus has the resources. He will provide. When God calls you to something, you have to trust that he's going to take care of it because we cannot do it on our own. Um, When we are in these difficult times at work, when we're dealing with our friends going through rough things or our family going through rough things, God will provide. He'll provide not only for you, but also for them. And I know that sometimes it seems tough. Um, Your response back to Jesus, I can't do this on my own was Rachel this morning. I can't do this, right? Love my enemies. I can't do this. He will give you simple things to do that. Um, One more passage, and I'm not going to read it in my Bible. I've got two different versions because I really like how they are. Psalms 87.7 is talking about Zion and, and the future, and it says, singers and dancers alike will say, all my springs are in you. I think the King James says fountains, 
But I love this one. This is from the Complete Jewish Bible, which I've never read from. I think I'm going to check it out. But singers and dancers alike will say, for me, you are the source of everything. That gives a much better visualization or picture for me than, than springs or fountains because we don't really get our water from those anymore, right? So that, that idea that everything I need, uh, Jesus is the source of that. So as we're thinking about ministry, God's given us a good vision from Will about what, where our church is going and how we are to love people around us. Um, remember that the ultimate plan is for God to fix the broken world. And we're all broken. So those around us, like we do not have the resources to handle that. So Jesus will give us the things to do that will lead others to him. Right? Point number one, he's going to equip us to bring people to him, not to bring people to the things that we can give them, the resources that we have, but to bring them to him. And he will give us the truth to speak as we love others, the truth about who he is, the truth about what's going on. Will, I was thinking about your conversation with Luke, and he did not even make the connection that the things that y'all prayed for happened exactly how you prayed for them. God uses us to speak the truth so that others can know him, and he will provide for the needs that he wants us to meet. When we obey him, he will provide for those needs. When we try to do it on our own without him, there's no guarantee that he's going to provide for that. He is our source of everything. All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for not only being the one who provides for our needs, God, but also for the needs of those around us. God, and thank you for giving us simple commands. Even though we may have fear or some misunderstanding, God, you've promised um, to take care of our needs. God, and you have promised that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. God, and that you can do the impossible. God, thank you for this amazing story in Scripture that teaches us how you love people and how you want us to be involved in what you're doing in their life. God, I pray that you would help us this week to remember that your ultimate plan is to heal our brokenness and the brokenness around us. And I pray that you would help us to see that and what you're doing to fix it. God, thank you for who you are. In your name we pray. Amen.